0: But hey, good morning, church. How we doing? We doing good? Good? Good. That's what I like to hear. Happy to have you with us today on this uh, this Vision Sunday, as we call it. Uh, if you're new with us, we haven't done this in a few years, uh, but we want to, to regularly do is take a Sunday and take a look back at God's faithfulness. Where have we been? Where has he moved? How has he moved uh, in our midst? And then take some time looking forward as to where it is that God would have FBH headed in the near future as well as our more... More distant, uh, more distant future, and so I will say this: We're going to end up in Ephesians three today. So this is a sermon; it's not just a, a celebration today. But we do have a message. We're going to be in Ephesians three. So, like Pastor Jeff said, we are taking a break out of uh, out of Acts two this morning. And while we're talking about Acts two, uh, if you came for the first time last Sunday. And you saw Brian Guy, he came up here, he delivered the message, all of that stuff. I was incredibly sick last week, uh, and I texted Brian uh, at about 5 p.m., and I was like, hey man, I'm sick, I think you're up. And he was like, great, send me your message. Um, and so uh, I sent him my message, and he absolutely did a fantastic job um, with that. So yeah, you can give Brian a, a round of applause. Um, he can't hear you. He's at camp. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I want to start though by saying that that in just a minute we're going to be going through a whole a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of statistics and wins and different things like that. It has largely to do with the papers that were on uh, your chairs as you uh, as you walked in um, and. And what we're going to talk about what we've done for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, and, and hear me on this. I don't want this first part of this message to come across as, as arrogant or anything like that. These aren't things that Peter has accomplished and things that Pastor Jeff has accomplished or, or anything like that. These are things that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the recognition uh, of a severe need for the gospel in Kings County that we as a church, that you have a, as a church, have both done uh, and accomplished, and so hear me when I say this: that God is not done with First Baptist Hanford. In my opinion, he's largely just getting started. Yeah, and the best is yet to come. So, with that caveat, uh, let's uh, let's let's get moving. Uh, for just just a little bit um, i 've been honored to be the pastor here at FBH for the past five and a half years or so, or so and God willing uh, will be the pastor here for for a long long time but but about five years ago now, I stood on on this same stage, and the stage design looked different, and the congregation looked different. Uh, the staff was somewhat different as well. I mean Jeff was still here we can 't get rid of that guy um, nor do we want to um, but, uh, but after a whole lot of prayer and petition when I first got here with, with Jeff and myself because we were the two pastors on staff at the time, we didn't have any other pastoral staff, um, uh, we, wanted to, we wanted to be exactly where God would have us. Uh, and so we thought, okay, what are the things that we need to focus on as a church largely to, to, to get to a place of health? And so we felt like God was largely putting it on both of our hearts to, that, that we're going to continue to proclaim truth. And so if it's written in the Bible, we're going to preach about it. Um, small groups was a big, big piece of it. It's going to continue to be a big piece of it. Families and excellence. Those are the four things that we had said, you know what, we are going to push hard into this. And you think about that, while it's a, a good marker for us to get to, that's not really a vision, right? That's just kind of like, hey, this is, this is kind of where we're headed. Because at that point, the vision of the church was largely to reestablish ourselves as a healthy church that was on mission for the sake of the gospel. And hear me, that's not to say that nothing good was happening at FBH or we were incredibly unhealthy or anything like that, neither of those things are true, but it is to say that through, there was a lot of staff turnover, uh, through a massive building project that we're we're sitting in right now, and some ministries that hadn't innovated in a while, rather than finding ourselves in a groove, we kind of found ourselves in a rut. And there's a fine line between those two things and 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 to be clear this isn't distinctive of fbh okay this isn't just like oh fbh had an issue or whatever this is part of the regular life cycle of a church and not just churches organizations in general you've got good years you've got tough years you have times where you are on mission you have time when the mission has drifted away from the intended target that's just the reality of church that's the reality of organizations and so we wanted to get back um, on mission and begin to put the things back in place that we believe God would have us do as well as the things that, that we believe would help be engines of growth, both in depth and in width as we moved through this, uh, this entire journey. And so truth, small groups, families, and excellence, right? And if we could focus a lot of our energy on that, then we could get to a place of health that allowed us then to dream massive dreams about where God was going to use FBH in the future. And so that isn't to say we, you know, shirked our responsibility of sharing the gospel or discipling people or baptizing people or people coming to faith or anything like that. But we had some work to do for us to get to a place where we were going to be able to do what it is that God really wanted us to do. And that started with getting us to a place of health. So that being said, the last five years have been dedicated to regaining health and momentum across all of our ministries. The the vision over the course of the last five years has simply been a healthy church. The great news is, I'm happy to say, that we have accomplished that vision, and we are now a relatively healthy church, which is great, great news. Yeah, you can always applause for that, applaud for that. Um, And so with that in mind, I want to show you some of our wins for the year, and again, this is Uh, by no means all of our wins i'm not going to go through that whole paper or anything like that there's plenty more but i think this gives you a good understanding of some of our health as we stand today um, and how god is moving and working at fbh and so some of the things we're celebrating last year now we had uh, 55 baptisms across the board and we're baptists so we uh, we celebrate baptisms right Um, and uh, and so the fun thing is is those baptisms aren't necessarily just kid baptisms kid baptisms are awesome The thing that I love to see is adults leading their families in such a way that they're like, you know what, I have made a profession of faith, I'm going to make that next step of faith in baptism and show my kids what it looks like to be able to follow Jesus. So we had 55 uh, baptisms um, last year. We're seeing a large influx of people as well, which is good, and hear me, the spiritual health of a church is not uh, predicated on how many people we have sitting uh, in in the aisles by by no stretch of the imagination. I'm very, very aware of that, so this is just one indicator, but we had our largest uh, ever uh, non-holiday Sunday two weeks ago. We had 646 people on campus, which was really, really cool. Yeah, you can clap for that. I'll be honest, anytime we go over wins like this in a row, it feels a little bit like the president giving the State of the Union, right? And so, like, if half of you want to stand and cheer and the other half want to boo, like, I'm okay with that. Um, but, uh, but this isn't, remember, this isn't a me thing. This is, a, this is an us thing. And so 646, obviously great news, but the better news is actually the same Sunday last year we had only 421 people, meaning that we had a 50% increase in growth year over year. And we want to look at trends. That's what we want to look at. We're not like, oh, look at this big number that we hit. We want to just make sure that we're continuing to grow both in width as well as depth as a church. And then two years ago, that same Sunday was 321. So over the course of the last two years, we've seen almost a 100% increase in Sunday attendance. And so if you take the averages of that, it's about the same as well. Our average people on campus in 2021 was 234 people, 2022 was 376 people, and in 2023 it was over 510 people, which is really, really exciting for us um, as well. But not just about Sunday attendance. Again, not we, we, we think that life change happens amid a community of believers that is small enough to both be known and to know other people, right? And so what is the health of our small groups? What's the health of our membership? that sort of thing. Membership is, again, not a number that's indicative of health of a church necessarily, but our church membership this year was sitting at about 339 people, which was fine. It's not anything to write home about, we're not shattering any records with that. um, We already have a plan in place to boost that number, but the exciting thing is while our membership is at 339 people, the amount of people uh, enrolled in small groups last year was 368 people, meaning we have more people in our small groups than we do as a part of our membership to the tune of 109%. Which is absolutely nuts to give you to give you some context, the healthy church, like the people who aren 't pastors who tell pastors what a healthy church looks like right those people uh, they say that that a healthy church will have forty five percent of their membership in small groups. We have one hundred and nine percent in small groups, which is absolutely um, exciting to be able uh, to be able to see and so that 's why that's why we had almost 1,000 people at our Easter services. We didn't have 1,000. We had. All, I want to round up so bad. Um, we had almost 1,000 people. We had over 1,500 people at our fall carnival, right? There's a ton of different stats and exciting things to share in there. Uh, but I know some of you care about our finances, so you'd be happy to know we finished the year just short of $100,000 in the black for the year. That's a good thing, okay? Black's a good thing. Um that means we now have $190,000 earmarked for our solar project, which are going to kick off in a couple of months, and still leaves us roughly $250,000 in the bank um, for us to be able to have a cushion just in case something terrible happens here. We need to tap, it, tap into that money. Or, uh, or whatever, um, and so uh, so we are in a very healthy place financially as a church. Uh, but more importantly than that, than just the money that we got, uh, we see giving and generosity as a sign of discipleship, right? And so that means that this year we had three hundred individual, three hundred nine individual givers, not couples, three hundred nine individuals, um, including seventy people who had never given to FBH before and started giving uh, and stepped up to the plate to help the mission and move forward. So that allowed us to have $107,000 per month on average in income. And beyond that, we're able to not only fund ourselves, but we also gave over $104,000 to missions this year, both foreign and domestic. And so those are, those are great, great news. That is great, great numbers. This is when you clap. Okay, everybody, yeah. Okay, good, solid. Um, so hear me, God has blessed us, God is blessing us, this is not an arrogant us thing, but, but through the ministries that we're putting forth, we are doing our best to be able to connect with people. So that's where we've been, right? And like I said, check out the rest of that infographic for more wins from the year, but, but the question then remains, if that's where we've been, and the mission of the church, the vision of the church was largely get to get to a healthy place in the last five years, and we've accomplished that vision, where is it that we're going? Where is it that God would have us? And i think when you get to a new year like it's exciting to think about like oh what are we going to accomplish this year right even in your own personal lives you know you know the new year's resolutions all of that all of that stuff because it's easy to make big plans and big goals and oh i'm going to crush it and it's january 28th now and you haven't worked out in two weeks like you said you were going to and you haven't read every day in your bible and you haven't prayed like you said you would or taking your spouse on a date or whatever it is whatever the case it may be for you but i want you to understand the church isn't like your own personal resolutions Specifically in the church, the church is not trying to reinvent ourselves. We we take a very ancient text, the Bible, and we do our best to live closely to that very ancient text. So anytime you even hear of someone saying, I'm going to start doing church differently, that should be a red flag for you. Because it's very, very clear the way that the church is is unfolding in Acts chapter 2, specifically I'm going to preach about it next week, is the fact that we want to actually look a whole lot closer to the way the church did 2,000 years ago than the way that we want to, we don't just want to emulate other churches in the area. We want to emulate the early church and what the disciples, the apostles, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit put into place a long, long time ago. And so that being said, that's why I love the mission of our church. The mission of our church never changes. Hear me on that. The mission of our church never changes. The idea of loving God and loving people and serve the world right? Love God, love people. That comes from uh, Mark chapter 12, the great commandment. And then the great commission is found in Matthew 28, serve the world. And so that mission is never going to change. That does not focus. But our vision isn't just to be a healthy existing church anymore. Our vision is so much more than us patting ourselves on the back and thinking, we've arrived. We did it. Let's just continue to do church that way. So with all that being said, let's look at Ephesians 3, specifically starting in verse 14. It says this, it says, for this reason, this is Paul talking, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ or is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the, bi- uh, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so let's go back to the top. This is an incredibly just like, like, thick, juicy prayer that Paul is saying both to God and professing to the church in Ephesus as well. But what is it he's communicating? Because in verse 14, Paul actually starts out by saying, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, anytime you come to anything like that in Scripture, when it says for this reason or therefore or anything like that, you want to go back and see what it is the author is responding to. So when Paul says for this reason, we're like, hold on, Paul. What reason are you talking about uh, in, in this situation? So the reason is actually stated, a few, or stated in the previous verses. He essentially says because of God's mercy and bringing Jews and Gentiles, that means everybody, into the kingdom of God, Because of God's love for us and because of God's purpose that is still in front of us, I kneel before the Father and I give thanks and praise. So what is Paul communicating here? He's saying, God, thank you so much for what you've done. And God, thank you so much for what you've promised us you're going to do. And so my response to both of those things is I'm going to kneel before the Father in praise. Kneeling, it's actually not a, a way that most Jews prayed. You know, for us, when we talk about the idea of prayer and that sort of thing, we've said it numerous times, we're like, you know, if you want to stand, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to kneel, whatever, we get people standing, we get people raising their hands. Kneeling, man, Baptist, we just don't do that. Um, and so uh, I'm not making fun of Baptists. born a Baptist, will die a Baptist, um, but that being said, um, uh, kneeling... Even for us, it's like, okay, yeah, I understand that people kneel when they pray. Like, that's not a far-fetched idea. But Jews at the time, man, they stood up to pray as a sign of respect, and we do that too sometimes, you know, stand and pray with me. We're actually going to do that at the end. Um, but but they, they would stand and pray as a, as a sign of respect. But there's a few rare occasions in the Old Testament, though, where the gravity of the situation was so great that kneeling was the only way to accurately convey the sense of awe that was happening at the time. And Paul, being Jewish, Paul knew this, and so he is saying, "I am so grateful for both what God has done and what He's going to do. I have no choice but to kneel before Him, from whom every family has their beginning," is what he says in verse fifteen. So you start thinking to say, "Well, what do you mean, what every family has?" has their beginning. It's not like family name. It's not like, oh, Anderson's or you know, whatever your last name may be. Um, the Greek here is closer to from whom everyone was derived, meaning from who everybody came from, the creator of everything. Okay? It's, it, and it is closer related to the idea that God is our father, Okay, whether we admit it or not, everything has come from him, everything, uh, e- everyone has come from him. And so from his knees, Paul prays that from his riches and from the power of his spirit would strengthen the church in Ephesus specifically from the inside out. Not through their own means, not through their own talents or anything that, but from the inside out, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to change this church, specifically we call it the indwelling of the spirit which kind of sounds like a scary term if you're new to church or like something is living inside of me it's a theological term this indwelling of the spirit and the first time we saw it was actually last week when Brian Guy's content was so good that he preached um some of you got that I wrote it um but the indwelling of the Spirit happens for the first time in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. And the reason for the indwelling of the Spirit wasn't just so people could, could communicate with each other. Just, just they're, they're all speaking these different languages and native tongues and there's flames of fire. Things that look like fire hovering over their heads. And there's this crazy moment of God's power in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost. But hear me, this indwelling of the Spirit isn't just for the ancient church. It's, just not, it's not just for the early church. That same Spirit that Jesus promised he was going to send once he ascended into heaven is alive and well today in the current church. And it should be alive and well today at First Baptist Hanford as well. The modern church needs the Holy Spirit. And to be clear, oftentimes, man, in, in more conservative churches, we're a more conservative church what will happen is we kind of shift our focus from the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And I'm not saying we shouldn't follow the Bible, read the Bible, get, get that truth just like soaked up inside of you. It's, it's imperative that you do so. But oftentimes that means we kind of stiff arm the Holy Spirit and we aren't listening for his promptings in our life. And what Paul was saying here is like, look, the only way that the church is going to be effective is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit working in the lives of those believers. And so he prays that from his knees. And it's where our power abides. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have made Jesus both, both Savior and Lord of your life, if that is you, that power resides in you. It's not in our own talents, but, but in the gifting and the power of the Spirit of God. And then verse 18, it reminds us that it's not by ourselves, like we shouldn't be doing this by ourselves, it's together with the Lord's people so we can grasp how great his love is for all of us. We need to consistently go back to the idea that we are God's people and God's people make up the body of Christ. We're called not just to unity, but we're called to togetherness as well. If we aren't together as a body of believers, we're not unified as a body of believers, we are missing out on what, what God is doing in the lives of other people, in the lives of, of other followers. I think oftentimes you forget, there's some of you who, who just are sort of like, you know what, I don't have time for a small group, or, or even, even, you know, I've been a part of Bible studies for a long time, and uh, I've kind of gotten all I can get out of Bible studies, or small group isn't for me, or essentially I don't need it, right, whatever it may be. But I think oftentimes what we forget is that when we assume that we have arrived at our faith and we assume maybe that other people aren't going to be as helpful because I've got my Bible, I know what I believe, all of those different things, that's great that you're secure in your faith. With that being said, there's other people in those groups who need you in their group because they haven't necessarily arrived in their faith. And to be clear, I don't think any of us will ever arrive in our faith until we are on the other side of eternity. But that being said, there are people who need you in their groups. They need you in that community. And so that way, when they're wrestling with someone, or someone, that would be a fun small group, something, (laughs) when they are wrestling with something, when they have difficulty in their life that they're walking through and they're like, "I I don't see God in this, I don't understand what God is doing in the midst of this or anything like that, that there's other people who have walked through it before. And there's other people who can say, you know what, I had a challenge that was similar to this. This is how God consistently showed up, and it was difficult, and was hard, and I cried, and there was prayer, and, and I had people surround me. But, but once I got through it, and I looked back on the situation, I could see God in every single moment there. And so when you no longer feel like following Jesus, there's other people there to tell you, look, can, just be, like, be obedient to what God has done. Like, Recognize what God has done in your life. And as you recognize what God has done in your life, your strength and your faith is gonna continue to grow stronger and stronger. It's the point of unity. It's the point of connectedness. It's the point of community. Right? We experience God's love together. And we recognize that the saving work of Christ is evident in other people's lives. And his mercies are new every morning in other people's lives as well. It's not just a a me thing. That even though that we fail, Christ's sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for our sins both yesterday and today as well as tomorrow. And because of that, we should not fail meeting together both here and in small groups where we can be known. And so Paul is telling them that. Be in community, be together. You're the body of Christ. The question is, well, why then should we be together? How can we know? So the, the, the question is, why should we be together then? Answer, so we can know what he has done for us with a love that surpasses the understanding of the outside world. That's what he communicates here. What do you mean a love that surpasses the understanding of the outside world? You ever heard that quote from scripture, they'll know that we're Christians by our love? right? It's in, it's, in the, it's in the Bible. Um, and the funny thing is, is oftentimes believers assume that that text is talking about believers loving non-believers. That they'll know that I'm a Christian because of how well I love you by giving you five bucks because you're homeless. Or I'm going to go and, and serve you in some way or whatever it may be. That's how they're going to know us because I love them so well. That's actually what, not, not what Paul is talking about when he talks about this idea that they will know that we are Christians by, his love, by our love. The love that he's talking about is actually the love that we have for one another inside the church walls. They'll know that we are Christians because the, the culture of our church, the love that we have for other believers, that, like, like that doesn't make sense to the outside world. And so it's no wonder that people who have a difficult upbringing in church, that they're a part of churches that aren't healthy, there's infighting, they're upset about whatever it may be, the color of the carpet, whatever, that they're upset about those things, they come out of it and they're like, man, the church was no different than any other drama that I have in my life. Why would I want to be a part of that if I don't have to go? The reality is, is the outside world will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. And so being in unity, being in community with one another is so important. And Paul talks about this regularly, being people of one mind, being united in the Spirit through the blood of Christ over and over and over again. But then Paul, he gets to the juiciest part of this prayer, he spent the first six verses thanking God. He spent the first six verses encouraging encouraging the Ephesians. Then, in verse twenty, he switches it to Paul talking about God and giving God thanks specifically. This is what it says in verse twenty. Again, it says, "Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more to him who is able to do immeasurably more, God. Now to God, we're going to talk about God now, and him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask." or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him be the glory or be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Not some generations, not the next generation, not the current generation that you guys are all tired and stressed out because you're raising kids and you're working too much and all this everything. Not the older generation who has been there and the wise sages of the church. To all generations, We want to see this power. And so Paul says, now regardless of us, regardless of who you and are, let's talk about the one who saved us. Let's talk about that guy. To him who's able to do not not just more, but to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or we can imagine. To that guy, according to his power that's at work within us. What power? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit that happened for the first time back in Acts chapter 2. Okay, so let's pause this again. How do we get the indwelling of the Spirit? Again, kind of a strange concept if you're new to church. We believe that at the point of salvation, the recognition of sin, the repentance, the turning from that sin, right, and making Jesus not Savior, not just Savior of your life, not just golden ticket into heaven, Jesus, Savior of your life, but also Lord of your life. That means you're an active submission to him for whatever it is that he would want you to do. So if you have made those steps of faith, right, recognition of sin, repentance, making Jesus Savior and Lord of your life, then you have been sealed by the Spirit. It's a theological concept. That means we believe that once you are actually come to a place of salvation, you will always be in a place of salvation. It's a theological term, but at that point, you have been indwelled by the Spirit, meaning you have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. I have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and that power is able to do far more than you or I could ever imagine. And we don't give him that credit because it's not seen in our actions. It's not seen in our, in our day-to-day lives. Which is what I want to talk about a little bit today. Like I said before, the vision for the first five plus years has been accomplished. We've walked in it, we've walked through it. Sometimes when necessary, we've walked around it. But we have, we have found ourselves in, a, for the most part, a healthy, healthy place. But now, being a healthy church, what is our responsibility in this world that we have all been, been born into? Because I think if you look at the state of the world, it doesn't take long for us to be able to recognize that, man, we live in a very, very dark, lonely, scared world, a world that's completely and totally filled with confusion and hopelessness. And the hard part is that society has told the world in no uncertain terms that the worship of self and comfort is the apex for the lives that we live. If you can just get, if you can just get to, to, to worship of self and comfort, which go hand in hand, by the way, but if you can just be comfortable in your life, maybe it's financially, maybe it's just comfortable in your own skin, maybe you finally got the manicure pedicure that you wanted to get. I don't know what it is. Okay, but once you can get to a place of comfort, then man, then you've arrived in life. Then everything will be easy. And it's a lie. It is a bold-faced lie. It is the church's responsibility to reflect that warm light of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and the good news of Jesus to the lost and a broken world. And sitting inside the walls of the church, just patting ourselves on the back is how so many churches end up turning inward and only become concerned about themselves. I don't wanna be a church that's only concerned about ourselves. I think we're called to much greater things. Things that require faith and things that require the Holy Spirit so we're able to do things that are immeasurably more than we could ask for or assume that we could achieve. I gave you a lot of numbers earlier but I need to give you a few more. Kings County, and I know not all of you live in Kings County, we're kind of close to the border of the county line and all that stuff, but Kings County has about 150,000 people in it. About 152,000 people. Now it's a government number, so take it with a grain of salt. But of that, sorry, uh, of that population, only Forty, or excuse me, of that population, forty-six percent of them are unchurched. Forty-six percent of them, and I get it. Like we live in California, but we live in like what we would consider the Bible Belt of California, right? But forty-six still seems really, really high. And you might think to yourself, well, you know what? We're doing okay. At least we're not L.A. We're doing, we're doing, we're doing much better than San Francisco. But forty-six percent is a massive massive number. That means that these people ascribe to no religion at all. They would call themselves the nuns. And you can do the math on this entire thing, but this is where we're going. In the next 10 years, we want to take a sizable chunk out of those who are unchurched. How big? In the next 10 years, FBH will evangelize to 25,000 people in the Kings County area. Let me say that again. In the next 10 years, FBH will evangelize to 25,000 people in the Kings County area. This isn't Capital C Church. This isn't South Valley plus Koinonia plus Glad Tidings plus whoever else plus FBH. This is FB. If you attend FBH, our vision over the course of the next 10 years is to evangelize to 25,000 people in Kings County. And I know what some of you are thinking. It's the same thing I thought. That's a big number. It's the same thing my staff thought. It's the same thing the pastors thought. It's the same thing some of my mentors thought. How are we going to do that? Press pause on that right now. Okay, I'll tell you in just a second, but let me, let me lay something else out for you. I think we need to remember that we are no longer a small church. And I think oftentimes we fall back into that idea of like, oh, we're a small church. We need to take care of ourselves, that sort of thing. We are no longer a small church. Actually, since COVID, the definition of large and small churches have shifted. 30, what is it, 31% of all churches in the U.S. are less than 50 people. 31%, less that's like house churches, right? 31%. And then another 37% of churches are between 51 and 99 people. That would be defined as a small church. Under 100 people is a small church. 68% of churches in the U.S., are 100 people or fewer. Now again, church size is not indicative of church health, so don't mishear me. But on top of that, another 24% of churches are between 100 and 249 people. That's a medium-sized church. Then you go up a step further, a large church is between 250 and 400 people. That's 5%, leaving very large churches at over 400 plus people, and they make up 3% of the churches in the United States. That means of all of the churches in the United States, we're in the top 3% when it comes to size. You could take that one one of two ways. One, you can be like, man, we're a successful church or you can take it the way that I think it needs to be taken, that that means we have a massive responsibility. We have a massive responsibility. Why? Because we have more resources. We have more people. We have more money. We just have more than other churches have. And so it is now our responsibility to make a bigger impact in the kingdom of God. Why? Because we're a bigger church. And that's our Responsibility. And if we don't take that responsibility as a large church seriously, then what are we even doing here? I'm not interested in building up our own little kingdom here. That's not the goal. So, being a very large church, how do the numbers for us evangelizing to the masses in Kings County work out? Over the course of the next 10 years, assuming we don't grow, assuming it's just that 510 average number that if everyone in our congregation needs to either share their faith with or invite to church, five people a year. And I'm not a math guy, so I ran the numbers again, which meant I pressed enter on my phone again. Five people a year. The impact that a church, and we're not a mega church, I know most of your names still, but the impact that we can have, I just think we sell ourselves short so often. And hear me, this is not an FBH growth strategy. This is a kingdom growth strategy. I don't even care if they come here. I just want them to know Jesus. I want to make it hard for people in Kings County to go to hell. I'm so tired of the state of our world, and and I just want people, rather than looking for hope in politics or gender identity or sports teams, that should sting to some of you watching football later, I'm one of them, or looking to self-harm or addiction, that we have to recognize that the only thing in this life, the only thing that's going to make this life any better, this world any better, is the recognition of Jesus Christ on the throne and not us and that's our responsibility. So that's where we're going. Okay, but how is it that we're, we're going to get there? A couple things that we're, we're going to do, a few things that are already in motion. One, we have to be praying regularly and petitioning God that he would deliver King's County into his kingdom. This has to be part of your personal prayer life. If you think we are going to get anywhere, by we, I mean the kingdom of God is going to get anywhere, by just your own gifts and talents and abilities and charisma or Riz, as the kids call it these days. Hopefully that's clarifying for some of you who are concerned what Riz is. If you think we're going to get anywhere apart from prayer, you're absolutely wrong. So we are making it a focus this year. So the last Sunday of every month, and if you're looking at your calendar, this is the last Sunday of every month. 6 p.m. we're going to meet in the fellowship hall, and not just for personal reflection and that sort of thing, to actively petition God to expand his kingdom in Kings County. I'm missing the end of the 49ers game for it. You can also. But not just that, Tuesday morning or Thursday morning prayer at 1115 in the chapel. It's where the pastors normally pray. Our staff has been joining us when they want to. It is open to everybody. Come at 1115. We are petitioning God and thanking God for what he is doing both in our church and in our community and asking him for immeasurably more. Thursday morning or Tuesday morning prayer. 10 a.m., this is for ladies. Janet Newton is heading it up. It's going to be in room 102 right over here. Open invitation. You don't have to sign up. You're bored at Tuesday at 10 a.m. Come on over. Same exact thing, prayer. Taking Kings County for the sake of the gospel doesn't happen apart from God doing it. And the Holy Spirit working in our lives to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. So that's the first thing is we're doubling down on prayer. The second thing is we're also doubling down on small groups. And I talked about this more than enough, but we know that apart from community, life change doesn't happen. We were shaped for community. We're shaped by community. and We recognize if there's going to be a whole bunch of new people, a whole bunch of new people who have placed their faith in Jesus because of the work that FBH is about to take seriously, we got to have a landing spot for them. We have to help deepen that faith so it's not just a flash in a pan and a cooling period later on. They have to get plugged into community who are praying together and digging deeper into their Bibles together to become more and more sanctified. The next thing that we're going to do is we're going to have a more evenly balanced approach to serving our community. We recognize that we're really good at having people come and hang out with us. 1,500 people at Fall Carnival. That was awesome. We're not as good at going and hanging out with people, though and serving those people. And so that's something that the missions committee is actively working on, is how, does we, how do we reshape some of the things that we do to make sure that we can be active participants in the lives of the community, not just them be active participants in our lives. So that's another one. We hope to launch more care groups for people with specific needs in life. We already have Grief Share up and running, which is awesome. We'd like to get Celebrate Recovery up and running. We want to explore what it looks like to have a group for porn addiction, to have a group for spouses of deployed sailors or parents of kids who are struggling with gender identity. I mean, the the opportunities for these care groups are endless, but we need help leading those. And there's a ton more. There's a ton more that we need to do to develop the infrastructure of our church to bring people into the kingdom of God, like a more advanced theological class for some of our people to walk through hiring support staff to help these things run smoothly, continuing to teach and implement biblical literacy. There is no shortage. But at the end of the day, Kings County needs a healthy FBH. And FBH, it's time for us to move. So here's what you do. Here's what you do. This is our really flawless tracking system with perfect data that we're going to have these are going to be on the front counter and this is temporary until we figure out exactly what we want to do but let's say throughout the week you're going through the week you're like man pastor told me I should invite somebody to church and you invite them to church maybe they come maybe they don't just take a if you invite them to church just take a white ping pong ball and put it in the jar for us we want this to be an encouragement to other people a reminder to each of us that we have a responsibility to Kings County. And let's say maybe you took it a step further because you recognize that disciples make disciples. And you know it's not just a professional Christian's job to come up here and share the gospel with people and talk about faith. It's actually your responsibility as well. So you come in and throughout that week you're like, you know what? I shared my faith with somebody at work who was asking me about faith or was really struggling with something or whatever. And I told them, man, do you go to church? Because I go to church and it has helped me substantially to know who Jesus is. Tell me about your faith. So if you do something like that, great. Come on in, grab a blue one and put it in. And this isn't for us to pat ourselves on the back. This isn't for us for us to be like, you know what, man, look how great we are or anything like that. This is a recognition that we are part of something much bigger. And man, can I just tell you, I would love to spend so much money on ping pong balls over the course of the next 10 years. I want us to have a, a line item in our budget that just says ping pong balls. And to have 25000 of these. In our lobby, up here, I don't know, we'll probably have to keep them in our pockets at that point too. I don't know what that looks like, but I know the task in front of us is one that we need to be responsible for and take responsibility in pushing. Church, I want to be, I want to be big around this vision because we serve a big God who can do whatever he wants. And so this is what we're going to do right now. We're going to respond. So I just want you to stand if you're able. Please stand if you're able. And we're going to, we're going to sing in just a sec. Band, come on out. Now, we don't normally do this, but, but with the people that you came with, specifically, you don't have to hold strangers' hands or anything like that, but just hold the hands of the people that you came with in a sign of unity and a sign of connectedness, and a sign that we're saying, you know what, we, are, we understand our responsibility, and I also understand that I can't do this apart from other people in my life. I can't do this on my own, because this vision and this mission that we have is both too big and too important for you to try. It's too big and too important for me to do it, or Jeff to do it, or our staff to do it, or even just our volunteers to do it. It is the responsibility of the saints in the church to walk this forward. And so, church, why don't you bow your heads right now? Just in the recognition that we have to come to the end of ourselves. And pray with me. And just, just Father, first and foremost, God, thank you for your son. And I just, wanna, I just wanna sit in that for a moment. God, the recognition of thanks for your son. Because God, I know without his death, his burial and a resurrection, and nothing that we do even makes sense. None of it matters that all of, all of our belief, all of scripture, all of Christianity hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from that tomb and so, God, thank you that he came as a sacrifice for our sins so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from you. And, God, I pray that we would just come to recognize that this is the greatest news on the face of this planet, the greatest news history has ever known, that God came down into flesh, walked around, uh, among humanity, had a ministry, and then hung on a cross for the sake of everybody. But God, thank you even more that he didn't stay there. Father, thank you that he conquered death and he took that sacrifice for us. And God, my hope and my prayer is that we would communicate that to the people of Kings County who don't yet Know you that we recognize every single weekend that that that, can, that good news can kind of fall on deaf ears because we've heard it so many times. God, I'm tired of living in a world devoid of hope. When we have the good news of your hope, God, put our church on mission. Put our people on mission. Allow us to know who we are because of the way that we love. Allow us to know who, allow them to know who we are because of the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us. And God, we recognize we can't do it. And so Holy Spirit, embolden us. Embolden us to impact a world that needs you and with head still bowed and eyes still closed, if that's you this morning and you've never made a profession of faith for the first time, you've never said yes to Jesus and you're like, I'm I'm tired of living for myself, I I need to come to the end of myself and the recognition that Jesus died on a cross for me and I repent of my sins and I wanna move away from those sins, I wanna honor God with my life, if that's you this morning, just simply in the quietness of your heart, pray with me and say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I repent of those sins and B, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me and that he conquered that death and C, I choose to follow you every single day and a big part of that is making your name known. I choose to follow you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray.